Chapter One of the Witches of New York by Q. K. Philander Dostix. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One, which is simply explanatory so far as regards the book, but in which the author takes occasion to pay himself several merited compliments on the score of honesty, ability, etc. Chapter One, which is merely explanatory. The first undertaking of the author of these pages will be to convince his readers that he has not set about making a merely funny book, and that the subject of which he writes is one that challenges their serious and earnest attention. Whatever of humorous description may be found in the succeeding chapters is that which grows legitimately out of certain features of the theme for there has been no overstrained effort to make fun where none naturally existed. The witches of New York exert an influence too powerful and too widespread to be treated with such light regard as has been too long manifested by the community they have swindled for so many years, and it is to be desired that the day may come when they will be no longer classed with harmless mountebanks but with dangerous criminals people curious in advertisements have often read the astrological announcements of the newspaper and have turned up their critical noses at the ungrammatical style thereof and indulged the while in a sort of innocent wonder as to whether these transparent nets ever catch any gulls these matter-of-fact individuals have no doubt often queried in a vague purposeless way if there really can be, in enlightened New York, any considerable number of persons who have faith in charms and love-powders, and who put their trust in the prophetic infallibility of a pack of greasy playing-cards. It may open the eyes of these innocent querists to the popularity of modern witchcraft to learn that the nineteen she-prophets who advertise in the daily journals of this city are visited every week by an average of sixteen hundred people, or at the rate of more than a dozen customers a day for each one, and of this immense number, probably two-thirds place implicit confidence in the miserable stuff they hear and pay for. It is also true that although a part of these visitors are ignorant servants, unfortunate girls of the town, or uneducated overgrown boys, still there are among them not a few men engaged in respectable and influential professions, and many merchants of good credit and repute, who periodically consult these women, and are actually governed by their advice in business affairs of great moment. Carriages, attended by liveried servants, not unfrequently stop at the nearest respectable corner adjoining the abode of a notorious fortune-teller, while some richly dressed but closely veiled woman stealthily glides into the habitation of the witch. Many ladies of wealth and social position, led by curiosity or other motives, enter these places for the purpose of hearing their fortunes told. When these ladies are informed of the true character of the houses they have thus entered, and the real business of many of these women, whose fortune-telling is but a screen to intercept the public gaze from it, it is not likely that any one of them will ever compromise her reputation by another visit. 
People who do not know anything about the subject will perhaps be surprised to hear that most of these humbug sorceresses are now, or have been, in more youthful and attractive days, women of the town, and that several of their present dens are vile assignation houses, and that a number of them are professed abortionists, who do as much perhaps in the way of child murder as others whose names have been more prominently before the world, and they will be astonished to learn that these chaste sibyls have an understood partnership with the keepers of houses of prostitution, and that the opportunities for a lucrative playing into each other's hands are constantly occurring. The most terrible truth connected with this whole subject is the fact that the greater number of these female fortune-tellers are but doing their allotted part in a scheme by which, in this city, the wholesale seduction of ignorant, simple-hearted girls in the lower walks of life has been thoroughly systematized. The fortune-teller is the only one of the organization whose operations may be known to the public. The other workers, the masculine go-betweens who lead the victims over the space intervening between her house and those of deeper shame, are kept out of sight and are unheard of. There is a straight path between these two points, which is travelled every year by hundreds of betrayed young girls, who, but for the superstitious snares of the one, would never know the horrible realities of the other. The exact mode of proceeding adopted by these conspirators against virtue, the details of their plans, the various stratagems by which their victims are snared and led on to certain ruin, are not fit subjects for the present chapter. But in the individual who is disposed to prosecute the inquiry for himself, will find in the various police records much matter for his serious cogitation and may there discover the exact direction in which to continue his investigations with the certainty of demonstrating these facts to his perfect satisfaction. A few months ago, at the suggestion of the editor of one of the leading daily newspapers of America, a series of articles was written about the fortune-tellers of New York City, and these articles were, in due time, published in that journal and attracted no little attention from its readers these chapters with such alterations as were requisite and with many additions form the bulk of this present volume the work has been conscientiously done every one of the fortune tellers described herein was personally visited by the individual and the predictions were carefully noted down at the time word for word the descriptions of the necromantic ladies and their surroundings are accurate, and can be corroborated by the hundreds who have gone over the same ground before and since. They were treated in the most fair and frank manner. The same data as to time and date of birth, age, nationality, etc., were given in all cases, and the same questions were put to all, so that the absurd differences in their statements and predictions result from the unmitigated humbug of their pretended art, and from no misinformation or misrepresentation on the part of the seeker after mystic knowledge. This latter person was perfectly unknown to the worthy ladies of the black art profession. He was to them simply an individual, one of the many-headed public, a cash customer, who paid liberally for all he required, 
and who, by reason of the dollars he dispersed, was entitled to the very best witchcraft in the market. And he got it. He undertook a few short journeys in search of the marvelous. He went on a couple dozen voyages of discovery, without going out of sight of home. He penetrated to the out-of-the-way regions, where the two-and-sixpenny witches of our own time grow. He got his fill of the cheap prophecy of the day, and procured of the oracles in person their oracularest sayings, at the very highest market price. For the business-like seers of this age are easily moved to prophecy by the sight of current monies of the land, no matter who presents the same, whereas the oracles of the olden time dealt only with kings and princes, and nothing less than the affairs of an entire nation or a whole territory served to get their slow prophetic apparatus into working trim. To the necromancers of early days the anxieties of private individuals were as naught, and from the shekels of humble life they turned them contemptuously away. It is probably a thorough conviction of the necessity of eating and drinking, and a constant contemplation from a penitentiary point of view of the consequences of so doing, without paying, therefore, that induces our modern witches to charge a specific sum for the exercise of their art, and to demand the inevitable dollar in advance. Whatever there is of sorcery, astrology, necromancy, prophecy, fortune-telling, and the black art generally, practiced at this time by the professional witches of New York, is here honestly set down. Should any other individual become particularly interested in the subject, and desire to go back of the present record, and make his exploration personally among the fortune-tellers, he will find their present addresses in the newspapers of the day and can easily verify what is herein written. With these remarks as to the intention of this book, the reader is referred by the cash customer to the succeeding chapters for further information, and the public will find in the advertisements, appended to the name and number of each mysteriously gifted lady, the pleasing assurance that she will be happy to see not only the cash customer of the present writing, but also any and all other customers, equally cash, who are willing to pay the customary cash tribute. End of chapter 1